your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready. For your positive imprint. Well, hello, this is Catherine with Your Positive Imprint. Do you have items around your residence that need to be repaired? Furniture, jewelry, small appliances? Well, in 2009, Martina Postma started the first repair cafe in the Netherlands. It has reached almost every continent. And I did an episode a few months back with Jackie Carter, the coordinator of a repair cafe over in United States, Idaho. During that episode, she spoke about how to get a repair cafe started. Well, I met a couple from Australia, Kaz and Dan, through my website, and they believe in the right to repair movement. They are also volunteers for repair cafes around the state of Victoria, Australia. They've traveled more than 4,000 miles, or 7,000 kilometers, volunteering. They repair your items. <laughs> well, in the Victoria, Australia area. But hey, you can start a repair cafe or find one nearest to you. I'll post information on my blog at yourpositiveimprint.com. Welcome, mates, Dan and Kaz. Hello. Hello, Catherine. We live in a wonderful, interesting world, and I am so thrilled that you are part of Your Positive Imprint. So thank you again for joining me today. You wrote me an email, and you were telling me about the fact that you travel all over Australia to help out at the repair cafes as volunteers. So we're coming from the perspective of volunteering. How did you get into, first of all, the decision to go into repairing around Australia and traveling? We were following the repair cafe movement since its inception, and it started in the Netherlands in 2009. And we are interested and have been all our life in tinkering and repairing and fixing and mending. So when this hit our radar in 2009, we couldn't help but be interested and excited really we thought the concept was marvelous it's always been done people have always tinkered in sheds but this was out in the community the model was taking repair out into the community and making it more formalized i guess that's when we took an interest in it in 2016 we decided to become involved in the first repair cafe in melbourne and that's where we started from. We actually went to a repair cafe and enjoyed it so much. And then we decided that we would perhaps be best travelling around to them because we'd retired and we wanted to travel. So we thought the two things fitted very, very nicely. And for me, it's uh, I great, take great pleasure in just meeting the people and the challenges that come up and you don't know what they are until they walk through the door and that, that suits me fine. I don't need to pre-plan or uh, have a preconception of uh, what's coming through the door. Just put it on the table, let's see, we'll fix it. <laughs> well, you have sent me photos and it looks like both of you <laughs> are really working at it. So what is your background? What helped you with this, with being able to tinker, and I see that, that Kaz has a sewing machine in front of her on one of the pictures, but do you have a, do both of you have a background in repairing or in tinkering or in mechanics or engineering? I started employment 
early 70s and I was a linotype mechanic, which is to do with letterpress printing at the Age newspaper here in Melbourne. And I was the last apprentice uh, put on. And a gentleman by the name of Thomas Edison, which no doubt you know, Catherine, <laughs> said that a linotype was the eighth wonder of the world. Eighth wonder of the world. They're very mechanical and I just loved the way um, I could get my head in, fingers in and just do that. And working at the age with new technology coming in in the 80s when it went from letterpress to offset, uh, I got into that as well uh, with no formal uh, training. I was able to adapt to these new machines coming in and I got offered um, offered a, the opportunity to go into electronics and I'm talking 1982 so really even before a desktop top computer was sort of out there right to be um, they were quite happy to employ me as electronics technician without any formal training and then they were going to send me off to do the training but uh, I declined that and thought I could um, go out and further my my knowledge in a better way, which I did. I, I ended up uh, driving trains, actually. Wow. Yes. But he also has an electrical background, Catherine, which is very handy too because e-waste is just unbelievable, as you know. We've got a big problem with it and uh, there's uh, there's so much that's electronic and electrical that comes into these repair cafes. So his electrical background was working in the Melbourne Underground where all the trains were. So that was before he was a train driver. He was doing all the lighting. Um, he had a restricted electrical licence to be able to do that. So his skills electrically are very, very good. Wow, what a background there. And go ahead, Dan. I've got a good fan next to me, Catherine. Yeah. She always encourages me. And and for the probably the last three or four years, I've really developed a, a fair knowledge of sewing machines because people find out who we are and they we always tend to get a donated sewing machine for Kaz, which she loves. She'll go through her thing and I've got to get them to work. There's no, there's no other thing for me to do. I get it put in front of me and say, make it work. And I tell him that he can do it because, I mean, he has got the skills. He's got marvellous transferable skills, transferable mechanical skills, and sewing machines are electrical too, so he's able to work on the motors and the electrics. And uh, I just say you can do it. Uh, they're all different. So that's probably where it is a challenge. A lot of the sewing machines that we get are different. So do you sew, Kaz? Yes. Well, I grew up in a family or with a mother that was a sewer. She wasn't a trained seamstress, but out of necessity she had to sew. And she, she as a young girl, had worked in the rag trade, like in the sweatshops, I guess, um, back then. And... Uh, she was good at what she did, but it was really basically out of necessity and she often said she wasn't really creative with what she did. She was more just, you know, a basic sewer but good at it. She'd make all our clothes and mend when mending was, you know, a big thing back then because you had to. 
And so I grew up under a Singer sewing machine, basically, playing with buttons and fabrics. We weren't allowed to touch her sewing machine, and I can really understand <laughs> that now. <laughs> yeah, we were not and, allowed to touch my mother's either, especially the serger. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> so, so it wasn't so much out of safety, I don't think. No, um, it was if you tore, broke a thread, you have to rethread everything. <laughs> It. That's it, and the tensions, mucking up the tensions, and right. she really needed to be able to do her sewing, her work, get us clothed. And when we were getting a bit older, somebody gave her a vintage zigzag sewing machine, and that became our sewing machine because it was a desk you know, top sewing machine, and she didn't like it. She preferred her sem, you know, in more industrial type machine. So we got that when we were old enough to sort of know what to do and we would play around on that and not very well and we were always getting it all mucked up. And uh, <laughs> I think, I think, however, what it did teach me was not to be frightened of sewing machines. There's a lot of people that are just frightened of them and I can understand, I can understand that if they've never used one. Uh, so I was never frightened of a sewing machine and I taught myself, believe it or not, years later, I was in my 30s before I really had time to look at sewing in, in a way that I, you know, I had time to sit down and, and do something. And I, I'd started out, you know, just um, cutting out patterns and making more evening wear to wear to parties then you're sort of at that stage where you were going to the weddings and engagements and and uh, it was a cheap way of getting an outfit for myself so I realized that I was quite good at it and I enjoyed it but now I don't uh, I don't do anything like that now I prefer mending and I prefer refashioning why make something when there's so much out there that you can refashion that's all the hard work's done basically and being a sewer you know how much hard work goes into how much skill goes into making garments so I try and refashion repurpose um, cut up textiles reuse them for something else and I love mending I'm into mending in a big way I have a number of textile groups online that are involved with um, or around mending Japanese borrow is one of them and um, rafu which is Indian mending so yeah that's um, me <laughs> that's interesting I'm hearing so much of this now with refashioning and and repurposing and I think these are buzzwords that I think are going to become an everyday word and you said something with regard to your mother you said that in those days, she had no choice but to mend. And that's because, obviously, different times, different economics. Today, do you think that the refashioning is catching on? What are you seeing in Melbourne? Yes, no, I guess it's catching on in a big way. And probably I see it bigger because I'm on those networks, I'm following those networks, so I might be thinking it's bigger than what it is. However, if I wasn't on those networks, I'd probably still know about it and know that it's definitely out there. 
it's it's uh, a trend. It's a trend. Well, I hope uh, it's a trend that stays. I can give you an example, Catherine. Um, here in Victoria, uh, the big supermarkets have banned single-use plastic bags. But the thing is, they still sell plastic bags that might last three or four or five times. What Karen has done is made singlets and T-shirts into carry bags, and I take them into the supermarket. And you'd be surprised the the remarks I get. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. So back to the point of is it catching on? I think in areas it is, but in other areas people just haven't got that scope to see what's in front of them. And I just say I've got about eight of these things in the car that takes Kaz about three or four minutes to make up and I can cart out whatever I need from the supermarket in these cloth bags yet people are still buying these 99-cent plastic bags they might use three or four or five times, and if they forget them, they buy them again. So it's sort of uh, that's how different it can be. Kaz is in an uh, area where she sees that people like to repurpose, but out there sometimes in the real world, they're still blinded by what's in front of them. Oh, I haven't got a bag, I'll buy one, rather than, going home, picking up an old T-shirt they haven't worn for years, just sewing up the end and using that as a, a grocery bag. So, Yes, Danny's probably right there, uh, Catherine. Different areas too, I think, in, in Australia will be more green. Do you know that term? More course, green? Yes, very yes. much. Yes, and sustainable than other areas. And so we live in an area that's probably um, light green. It's not <laughs> very, light, very light green, uh, whereas there are areas that are dark green. <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if you get that analogy. I absolutely do. And I'm thinking about when I did this Repair Cafe episode with Jackie Carter and the folks up in Moscow, Idaho, they just started the Repair Cafe in October, and that's that was 2018. And, of course, the inception was 2009 over in the Netherlands. You, you had your first one in 2016. So it, it just it took a while for it to reach the continent, but it's there. Let's talk about your traveling. You have put in how many miles have you put in? Yes, about, well, we're, we're nearly there at 7,000 kilometres since we started. Yeah, which is probably about 4,200 miles. <laughs> That's a lot of miles. So you're obviously not just doing the 10 or 11 in the Melbourne area. You are moving around. Yes, we are moving around and we had to clarify with you about the um, Australia-wide uh, travel. We're in a state where, uh, talking about that green again, we're, we're a dark green. The state of Victoria is a bit greener than the other states of Australia, so pretty strongly represented here in Victoria. And that gives us the advantage to do all this travelling because Victoria is one of the smallest smallest states in Australia and um, so that's a good opportunity for us to 
see how the different communities do carry on their repair cafes. Absolutely. So when you go to the repair cafes, are there enough volunteers that are there to work or is it often you two and maybe a couple others? Oh, it can vary, but we're, yeah, we pretty much get through what we've got to get through in the three hours that they run. They're fairly well attended by volunteers. You can't always rely on everyone turning up, but you know, we, we manage quite well. Textiles and electricals are very, very busy, and that's what we do. So we're kept flat out <laughs> for three hours at most repair cafes, sometimes maybe holidays, public holidays may quieten them down a bit and you just mightn't have the turn up of the people. But that's good because then we can have coffee and cake and debrief and talk about what we do and that's not bad either because repair cafes are about community engagement. It gives you, it gives you time to have a bit of a breather rather than just working flat out for, for the three hours. And when I say working, it is work but it's really enjoyable. It's a load of fun and you, you're not being paid so there's no key performance indicators you've got to meet. <laughs> so right, right. You don't you don't have to put too much pressure on yourself. And, again, repair cafes are about um, people that are, aren't necessarily professionals. Some are, but a lot right, aren't. Right, And so the people coming in are told that we're not professional fixers and that if anything happens, it's their responsibility, basically. It's not ours to cop and... So, yeah, the pressure's off, although I suppose you do put a little bit of pressure on yourself to do well for people and hope that it gets fixed and keep that thing, whatever it is, out of landfill. But I wanted to go back, if I may, because we keep forgetting to mention Australia and how Mended Australia um, came about. We have done Victoria, most of the repair cafes in Victoria last year, and we were hoping this year to venture out and go to the other states. And as Danny said, there's not many in the other states, 21 in Victoria and 31 in Australia. Australia is a big continent. But, you know, those 10, are, those extra 10 are spread out all over the country. And we were going to go travelling, just travelling as a couple in retirement. But Danny hurt his back at work. So, yes, so this year we've been pretty much grounded because we have to be around for um, appointments to do with that. So And and he's had to see doctors and take it easy, not do too much driving. So that's where we're at. But our intention is to definitely head out and when we when we do head out by the time we head out which might be next year now there'll be more that have popped up around australia oh and i do hope so yes yes we we do too but the trouble is there's getting more in victoria that they we just love it here and there's more that are going to launch so we might be stuck here forever visiting i don't know if i would say stuck I was in Melbourne and I loved Melbourne. 
Oh, did you? That's great. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid you'd come to Melbourne. Yeah, and if if repair cafes need you, then and you like it, and you know Jackie Carter had mentioned that she, as a coordinator, she wanted to really t- try to connect and tie in with the retirement community because she felt that they have the skills and the time and that they would just pleasure in this type of work. And so hearing it from you, I mean, that just definitely, and she will be listening, that definitely ties that up for her, That the notion that, yep, that's a good route to take. Mend It Australia. I just love that you chose that name for your, your Facebook page. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, yeah. well... It's yes, very please. catching. Mm, thank, thank you for that feedback. When you're here at the repair cafes, one of the things that I really find appealing about repair cafe is that it's not just about you sitting down and fixing it while the others, while the people who bring it in, the patrons go sit, you know, at the cafe area. It's also about what you were saying, grouping. It's it's community, but you're teaching them. So, do you enjoy the instruction part? For the patrons when you're teaching them a skill of how to mend or fix something or take something apart yeah really good question you can certainly ask dan at when i finished but i talk about that sometimes when i am at repair cafe it, it's a question that comes up even sitting across the table from people we like to ask them if they want to know what to do and most people, I think, are a little bit sort of shy and they say, oh, no, you just do it, you just do it. And I'll say, oh, I can show you if you like. But I think most people just come in and want you to do it. And I prefer to do that. And why that is is not because I don't want to teach. In fact, I really quite enjoy teaching on a one-to-one uh, basis um, it's more because of the time factor, Catherine. Three, three hours, we are really busy. And some of the repairs and the mends can be time-consuming. And then you've got to do the chatting as well across the table. So it can get a little bit, yeah, we just need to get this done because there's queues of people and sometimes they bring in not just one item but a couple of items. Sometimes people bring in a bag of items. So I personally prefer to explain what I'm doing, but I think that repair cafes, in my opinion, are better if they run separate workshops around how to use your sewing machine or how to stitch up a hole in a a sweater or whatever. That, to me, is better if you go off separately and do workshops and have a bit more time to spend. That's just personally my thing. However, I do understand the whole idea around the education and I try and impart that by showing them and saying if you've got any interest, you might want to go do a sewing course or pass pass back to the coordinator of the repair cafe that they might want to hold a workshop to show people in a less hectic environment how to do things. With me, Catherine, I find that the difficulty of the repair 
can sometimes outweigh showing a person what to do, again, because of the time restraint. But I find it really gratifying when women, <laughs> they press you. And I, I try and explain myself all the way through. And when they just want to keep, want to know more and more and more, it's just so gratifying to hear that. Well, what are you doing here? How do you do this? Can I have a go? And, of course, you let them have a go and you try and explain yourself. And sometimes they'll say, that's all I need to know, and they'll sit back down and then let you carry on. But other times, as Kaz said, they'll just sit there and sit back and they're just happy to watch you do it. And when you turn that switch on and the, the lamp works or the toaster works or whatever, the big smile comes on their face and that's one of the most rewarding things of doing these repair cafes is looking across the other side of the table and seeing that result. And sometimes you even get that smile when you can't repair it. They just know that someone's had a go. They can then be informed that, no, it's sort of seen its life or you need someone that's a bit more experienced or got the abilities to repair and you can advise them to do that as well but again it's um everyone's different when they come in there are there are a few people that i do know uh, volunteers that they really do want to teach and they see it as the most important thing but they're few and far between that i've come across at repair cafe the other really nice thing too is that if you haven't got the time to do the one-on-one -on -one teaching because you've got a queue of people what's really nice is that with textiles is that connection of the mending and how that can be a bit spiritual in a way that you are putting time and effort to maybe even into a fast fashion garment that some people might think oh is it really worth the trouble and as you talk about keeping it out of landfill and how now I'm stitched in to your garment and you'll walk around with me uh, <laughs> when you wear it, that's really special. And I think then they sort of light up and they get that you are have become a part of them and you have cared for, for their them and their their item that maybe they were a bit embarrassed about bringing in so that's that's really special too there is a teaching in that too but it's not a a practical task teaching it and there is a term for that which we call here a true materialism you can, you know, materialistic, people think materialistic is just consumerism, whereas true, true materialism is about loving the things that you have. And I think once you get involved in that way, true materialism is realised and um, it's, very, it's very special. They, never, they look at their garment totally different or their item totally different. Well, no, and I think that's a very good point because some of the garments that I buy anyway are made by women in these other countries that they need the job in order to just make enough to get food on the table. And yes. 
I look at that as, wow, you know, she, and Rochelle from Repair Cafe in Idaho mentioned this as well, that it's just a respect to the creator of your garment to not just toss it, but to have it fixed and mended and to have that connection from the time of its inception of being created and sewn by a person that's just truly trying to fit in in their own world as just in a certain survival mode while we're out wearing their garment to a party. What has been some of your hardest items to repair, but you were successful? Oh, that's that's a big question, Dad. I did a, uh, a serger and it was seized. Hadn't pulled one apart before. And I had it all spread across the dining room table for about <laughs> four or five days. It came home with us. <laughs> Sometimes they come home with not, us, Catherine. Not very often, but it was a. Um, Do you have to bring the patron up. home with you too? <laughs> no, no, no. And I got it to go. I got it to go. So that was. Uh, that was a bit of a big deal. And that's where his mechanical skills come in. I'll give him a plug here. I've had a few lawnmowers that I've repaired, but that that's what I do. And you sharpen up your, I suppose, your own skills even more. And I think when you look at something, Kaz always says that I see things different to other people when they look at something mechanical. I, I actually just watch what parts do, and then you work out, well, that part's moving that part, but that other part's not moving. So you try and isolate what's going on. And I think I can apply that to basically nearly everything I pull apart. And I just, for whatever reason, I can I can sort of see what's not happening. And, of course, with electrical, you just grab your old multimeter out and... yeah. Just check what's not getting electricity, basically. So I think I've developed that skill a bit better of doing how many repair cafes last year. Oh, gosh. Um, we did a lot. We did a lot, yes. And, and um, so I've developed that a bit more. I can quickly say, no, I, I that's as far as I can go. Maybe someone else might have better luck. But I think you've got to you've got to know when enough is enough, Catherine. Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. And Kaz, what about textiles for you? Hmm, textiles I don't find really hard. I think I think what it is is more just dealing with the amount that come in uh, the machines that. It's taken me a good probably 18 months to work out which machine I've got is best to take to Repair Cafe to do the multitude of jobs you need to do. So you might be on a machine that hasn't quite got the capacity to do whatever you want to do and and that can be a little bit frustrating. So the task is not so hard. It's just the machinery isn't working for you. Right. Um, I love hearing the birds. 
Oh, yes, you can hear them. I've noticed them, Catherine. There you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you do have birds over there, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Different ones than you do, but yes. <laughs> we have a few noisy ones. Blackbirds, we have big blackbirds. Yes, yeah, so... You both are very giving of your time and your philosophy is absolutely wonderful and it is generated for future progress and that is certainly what we need globally and to work together towards that. In closing, what could both of you, a, a different message from, from both of you? For me, Catherine, corporate greed, that's... I just, every time I see the news or whatever, a lot. the reason why a lot of this stuff happens is just greed and I think corporates have got a lot, of, a lot to answer for. They'll just, they want to stop a lot of this. They know what's best for us and they'll keep telling us that, but Kaz and I know different, the community and us. We can look after ourselves, we can go forward by ourselves we don't need we don't need the close scrutiny that comes with um, local government and corporate they want to try and keep us in a box so they can say right this is how you're going to live your life sorry that's not us we just want to get out there and preach the right to repair uh, and when you buy something at yours you shouldn't have any there shouldn't be any, um, what's the word? Restrictions. Restrictions or... on what you can do with that item. Once you've handed your hard-earned money over the counter, if you can find someone that can repair it better than what the system can, why not? I know the economy needs people to spend money, but does it really? We... Kaz and I do like the barter thing. We've done it before, uh, provided a service for a barter or provided uh, some of our fruit from our trees for a barter. And uh, we, we, can get, we can all get back to that. We shouldn't all have to go diving into our wallet or our purse and hand over the credit card for someone to do something. I, I think that's... Repair Cafe is a bit of that bartering. I've got my skills and my barter is that you bring in your broken item, I'll fix it for you and you can walk out the door. And I'm happy to do that. I'm quite happy to give up my time to save that item from being thrown away. And I think that's what I'd like to see more of. Yes, Catherine, I think Danny's hit the nail on the head and it's probably <laughs> It's probably a conversation for another time. Um, my message is very much about the right to repair and we are on Twitter and that's our platform for the right to repair and we're trying to get that message out for an AU or Australian right to repair. That hasn't hit the radar yet here. In Europe, they're um, leading the way really, not just with the right to repair, but also looking at repairability, uh, design of products, you know, they're going even further. 
And certainly you've got your right to repair movement there led by the US PERG and uh, the iFixit movement and repair.org uh, where we follow all of them and think they're marvellous and what they're doing in the states over there. And um, they've just introduced a bill into California and we're keeping our fingers crossed for, for California. We definitely, as Danny said, are all about not being controlled um, in relation to what we own that we can actually fix. So there is issues around bureaucrats trying to stop us from fixing our things. Now, it's not even multinationals. It's just bureaucrats locally not wanting us to touch electrical items, for example. And that's a real issue uh, issue for us. And so we don't want to encourage this learned helplessness. Yes. We really feel that that's a big issue. We're losing these skills. They're they're, they're nearly lost and we are trying to say, well, don't become um, helpless. Don't become intentionally helpless. Stand up and fight for your right to tinker, your right to repair. So that's our message, definitely. And we go to repair cafes in good spirit and we're not being real activists vocally when we're at repair cafes. It's a lovely um, opportunity to just fit in, yes. uh, yeah, to um, uh, tinker with other volunteers. But there is a subtle message that we hope we're getting across about the right to repair. Well, I certainly like your phrase, learned helplessness. Actually, we are in a frame of mind uh, because we've been trained that way. Yes. Yes, and, and, and we need to, to be resilient and to um, protect our sense of agency. You know, that's another term that uh, we use, protecting our sense of agency. And uh, that's important to, to Danny and myself. And we don't want our children and our grandchildren to be uh, come sort of subservient to these multinational corporations that we feel are definitely planning for us all to uh, to go that way and just lease products and send them back to either be scrapped or repaired by them and then, yeah, we open a hornet's nest. So definitely a conversation for another time. Sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate the two of you sharing your journey into the repair cafes throughout Melbourne. And, of course, the citizens there certainly appreciate the time and effort that you are putting into repairing their items and keeping them out of the landfill and also keeping their pocketbooks filled that they don't have to go replace items. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks, that's Catherine. that's Thank you. Uh, a good final sum up, keeping money in your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to have to replace something before it's time. Well, thank you, Kaz and Dan. Next week's episode will be patrons and volunteers at a Repair Cafe event in Victoria, Australia. You are listening to a podcast that is free. Please leave positive reviews by hitting the five stars or write a positive review. Thank you to Chris Knoll for this inspiring music. Learn more about his music and career at chrisknoll.com. Get on my email list so you can be updated on featured guests as well as my podcast behind-the-scene notes. Sign up by going to yourpositiveimprint.com. You can also access all of my episodes from 
yourpositiveimprint.com or iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast venue. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast, Your Positive Imprint. Subscribe for free on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or right here, whichever platform you are listening from. Please hit that subscribe button. It's free. Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Subscribe now.